0: I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So, uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife we all know how much that sucks so um take a look at the razor pro saw combo kit and uh, head on over to outdooredge.com and enter the discount code nation 30 that's nation 30 for 30 percent savings on your purchase
1: Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. we partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women and by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you start to unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free stuff, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14 day trial today by visiting spartanforge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase you wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southerngroundhunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. And now, let's get to the show. All right, guys. Super jacked about this episode uh, because there's a couple different things. Our guest, Jordan Pope, is uh, going to be on with us today. Uh, and like this dude, he's been on. Jordan, I'm talking like you're not even right here. Is this the third time that you've been on, or fourth? I think it's three. This is the third. So yes, uh, talking about turkeys, talking about deer. This episode is going to be a deer, a deer episode. But um, I am really struggling to keep my train of thought on deer because um, all I'm thinking about is turkeys right now. So, uh, but we are going to talk about deer. It's going to be a really fun episode. Good conversation about uh, just precision in deer hunting and being. Uh, even if you don't have a lot of time to hunt, even if you don't have a lot of hours to put into it because of whatever your circumstance is, being very precise on those uh, those times you do get to hunt. So that's going to be a really cool episode. But um, this is also, so we're kind of changing up uh, how we do Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And I've got a group of guys that um, have all been guests on the podcast before and um, or have helped me co-host at a time whenever maybe Drew wasn't available or whatever. Um, but Drew, Drew's not going anywhere. He's actually supposed to be on with us today. And he may end up coming and jumping on the call at some point. If uh, if that happens, it might be a little bit awkward uh, of an awkward pause or silence or something like that. But we'll make it work. Um, so Drew's not going anywhere. But we're going to add a few more guys to the team to help co-host the podcast <laughs> My desire has always been to make a podcast and create a podcast that is just as good without a guest as it is with a guest. And it's hard to do that whenever you've got just one or two guys that are hosting. So uh, I've brought in some guys who are very familiar to the show, and one of them is joining us today on his debut as a Southern Ground Hunting co-host, Mr. Matthew Reeves. Matthew? Matt? Matt? Matthias
2: call me whatever man I've been called worse
1: (laughs) so Matt's gonna help us co-host I'm super excited about this dude like absolutely Jack you were one of the first people that I thought about uh, and I know you got your own thing going on uh, as far as YouTube and content creation is concerned Um, tell us a little bit about that and uh, and kind of where you're at with with your uh, with your own brand
2: yeah well first off Parker thank you for you know Uh, giving me this opportunity to come on here and talk. Always like to get in here, talk deer hunting. Like you said, whether it be a guest or just us talking, we're going to make this fun and uh, entertaining for everybody that's listening. But yeah, I, for the past, I guess, three years, I've been running a page called Southern Pursuit, Uh, do YouTube, Instagram, public land hunting, private hunting, uh, woodsmanship stuff. Uh, You name it. I I try to cover it. Um, But that's, you know, that's something I do for fun, but, I really just like coming together with my buddies and, and hunting, and that's that's really my goal is, you know, to not just be a, a single hunter, but kind of hunting as a group and rather see other people be more successful
1: uh, than myself. Man, and uh, going back to what I said about making a, a podcast that's just as good without a guest as it is with a guest, um, my favorite podcast to listen to, and also some of my favorite podcasts to just do as we create different shows are the ones that are just like last week I named the episode Fireside Chat. Uh, Adam Cruz was on there, whatever. I love that like deer camp type uh, environment, you know, and obviously we're all sitting here on a Zoom call, so we're not sitting around a campfire, but it does, it it is fun to like reminisce on past stories and things like that. And uh, so what, what we try to do is think of the best most diverse group of guys who are not only great deer hunters but good communicators and just fun just people that I would go hunt with in any given scenario and uh, so we've got a few more that we'll be introducing through the the next few next few weeks but Matt you're the one that's here today so thanks a thought man I'm super excited about you being here
2: and if, if y'all haven't already, go back and listen to last week's episode. I listened to it, um, I think it was Monday, uh, listened to it. It was very encouraging uh, for me just as deer season's winding down to kind of keep that fire going for next season, start planning those trips, getting ready, and be ready to make those stories again that you get to talk about when the season's over. Uh, so that was really, really awesome to hear um, from Parker and everybody else. Uh, so if y'all haven't, go go tune into that.
1: Yeah, man, that was a, was a fun episode. I love those type of episodes. Uh, today, though, is really not going to be a whole lot different because Jordan is not uh, a, a new guy on the show. You've been on here a whole lot, Jordan, and uh, very consistent with, uh, I mean, both deer and turkeys. You seem to be very consistent. I know if I had to guess, I would say, you, the fires under you a little bit more when it comes to turkeys. Would that be right? Yeah. Would I be correct in yeah. that assessment? Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, dude, you're killing some great deer. And and I talk to you all the time. We're buddies. You know, you're not just a guest on the show or something like that. So uh I think this is gonna be another uh another good fireside chat type type episode. But I but I do have an agenda, right? Uh I sound like a Democrat. I do have an agenda with this um Because you recently, uh, last, what, this past weekend, uh, had a pretty, pretty stellar hunt. So, uh, Jordan, before we get into that, into that hunt, really kind of tell us for anybody who doesn't know you, um, and hasn't maybe listened to the past episodes that you've been on, tell us a little bit about, uh, about who you are, kind of your, your lifestyle, what you, uh, do for a living and things like that. Cause I think that'll set up, um, like your season in life that'll set up for a lot of what the show is going to be about today
3: well to start off my name is Kalen Pope uh, I'm a plumber but I'm an apprentice plumber so that requires me to go to school several nights a week uh, during did this recent part of deer season it was four nights a week for four hours a night so I would work out of town about an hour away all day come home and then go straight to school and then my daughter was also born right in the middle of the rut so throw that in the mix as well uh just as far as my lifestyle man uh, I really just kind of push myself as far as hunting goes to be consistent I kind of kill myself in the woods more than what I think most people do to the point that you know a lot of people are pushing their to have as much fun as they can and it's I just like that chess match with the animal and I push myself for
1: it You're a turkey hunter. I mean, you're a turkey hunter, so you enjoy that chess match. A lot of guys, um, which, and there's no, there, in my opinion, there's not a whole lot of legal wrong ways to do it. Um, But you enjoy that chess match and and finding a certain deer um, and figuring him out. Just the same way as with a goblin turkey. Like, you like that battle, you know, between that bird that's goblin and you. Like, I get that. Like, that's, and and sometimes it like you it, you'd be hard pressed to to put a goblin turkey in front of me somewhere that I can hear that's within earshot that I'm not going to try to go after. I don't care what's in my way. If he's gobbling, I'm going to try to find him. You know, I'm going to go after him. And uh, one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. And so in the same way, deer can be very similar, except for they don't gobble. If they gobbled, man, it would be a uh, whoo. Life would be life would be different for sure. Uh but be hard. But, but, but deer is, is in some ways it's so much harder because you could be hunting a specific bedding area or something like that for a certain deer and have no idea if he's even there or not. You could just be sitting there wasting all your time because he's not making a noise. You know, it's, it's very hard unless you have uh, some type of technology through cell cameras or something like that which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today to know if a deer is even in that area and so uh and so you got you've got to be very precise very uh very persistent uh willing to go the extra mile sometimes literally the extra mile the extra ridge to uh, to make it happen so to so tell us jordan tell me a little bit about your season this year uh, and kind of how that look for you
3: man you want to talk about the grindiest season I've ever had grindiest
1: I, had phenom- I like
3: that I had a phenomenal bow season just for seeing I saw two one of my hit listers and then a random really big day I mean equally as big as the deer I killed during bow season and I was like man I'm just on it this year like I just felt it felt great we step into pre-rut, dude, and I'm further away from killing a deer than I have ever. It was like I couldn't make a right decision. <laughs> I, I was struggling to see deer at that point. And uh, I just kept pushing, kept pushing. And then, you know, obviously my daughter was born and it slowed up, you know, but my wife worked with me. I mean, she's a saint. There were obviously some days that I had to stay at home and uh, help out a little bit. But <clears throat> it seemed like, into, leading into January, my look kind of started to change a little bit. It just seemed like the deer were kind of moving better for me in my eyes because obviously, you know, you look at social media and you're like, you I'm struggling people are nailing them. <laughs> and it's, it can be discouraging. So you're like, oh.
2: Messes with you bad.
3: <laughs> yes. And uh, so I ended up bow hunting a place and I had a really good deer. Would have been top three deer for me step out at 40 and there we had had a camera on the scrape and I thought that scrape was at 20 yards I set up in a really crazy tree that day it took me like 40 minutes to get up it I, everything was perfect it was 19 degrees I thought he was going to turn and hit the scrape well he did it and he stayed in the in like almost like there was like a planted section of trees that were really close together though I picked a shot at 40 and I sent it and he ducked it I mean the shot was perfect so like even that even added on to it i was like man i just cannot catch a break this year <laughs> so in a nutshell you know until i i explained to a lot of people in alabama deer hunting it's like they're a mythical creature and until it happens you don't even know they exist
1: mm-hmm. hey and and to, to further that point uh three of the probably the the They've been doing it the longest, and they're very consistent. They're very good deer hunters. Uh, Mike Perry, Wes Moyer, Jamie McKay, those three guys. I got them all on a podcast uh, this summer. And one of the questions I asked them, all three of them, I said, "How?" And and you would look at these guys' stats. You'd look at the deer on their wall. You'd be like, "Man, these dudes. They must be seeing big bucks all the time." And I asked them. I said, uh, "I said, so realistically." How many opportunities are you getting at a big buck every year? And all of them were like, eh, like one or two, <laughs> you know, like not a lot of opportunity. And so, um, you know, I, I, I kind of drive this into the, into the ground. Alabama has a solid deer population, very, fairly good deer density compared to the rest of the United States. But there's so many places for those deer to hide. And that they have all kind of places that they can go and you may never see them in there. And, Ghost. and so what you're saying, a lot of guys, a guy living in Illinois might listen to this and be like, you thought you were on top of the world. Cause you saw two big bucks during bow season. Well, freak. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> you know, cause that doesn't happen. Do you think they're it's, mythical creatures? Like you said.
3: It, yeah, it's definitely struggle bus here. And, uh, I, one of my best friends, actually, he has two leases in Illinois. And he just won't hunt Alabama. He just, he's like, man, it just, he said, I can't get out of bed for it. I mean, and I'm headed up this year. So I'm like, please don't ruin like my mentality.
1: It won't. It's different. Um, I, I, I know a few people, actually, I say it won't. I know a few people who it has ruined how they hunt. Like they'll put all their energy into focusing on a week that they get to hunt a Midwestern state and they'll just not, they'll not do anything. In their home, whether it's Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, whatever. Um, but I think for guys like you, who enjoy that challenge, that chess match, I, I don't think, I don't think it'll ruin you because that's to me that's part of the that's part of the fun. And when and you're getting to live on a high right now. Uh, from I mean, you last year you came on around the same time last year. Uh, because you had just killed two great bucks really close together, now they weren't nearly the caliber of deer that you killed this year, but I mean two very, very nice bucks and um and then and then you're living off this high right now of being able to to kill this one that you killed that we haven't really talked about a whole lot but but you uh you you know that feeling and it's hard to replace that feeling. It's hard to replicate that feeling when you go to somewhere like Illinois where a lot of people are killing deer like what you killed, you yes. got uh, you know, like, like that didn't, I'm not taking away from what they do. I mean, that's still freaking cool. And, and that's awesome. But there's very few people here that are doing what like. You got a very, a very, uh, uh, not, I'm not going to say it's a once in a lifetime experience, but the similar, you got a very cool feeling from, be able to kill that caliber of deer here so i don't think it'll replace it for you i really don't but but i, I kind of spoiled it a little bit but you you had a tough season had a baby right um couldn't hunt a lot you work go to school all this junk that kind of compiles on it's like when the heck am i going to get to go into the woods uh but you did have eyes in the woods so let's talk a little bit about this
3: okay so we'll we'll start at the very very beginning we'll start in 2019. So this deer is uh for this particular area area is one of the largest deer using it and I know that for just a fact. I mean people talk and so <clears throat> there were probably seven or eight people that had pictures of this deer and were actively hunting it the first two years that I knew about this deer. So <clears throat> I I had pictures And I saw pictures through people as well, but I didn't even invest any time. I was like, man, we're talking about what is possibly a deer that may be popping into public off private every once in a while, giving somebody a sneak peek because every picture was either nighttime or it was daylight and velvet. So I just just wasn't sure. Like I wasn't going to commit or anything like that. I was just being mobile and getting on deer that way. All right. So we fast forward to 2020 last year. A picture gets sent out of that deer. And supposedly a guy had shot him off of the road out of his truck in a cutover riding down the road. And they tracked the deer for like three days, never found it. So in my mind, a light went off. Like in, in the middle of the summer, I was like, man, everybody thinks this deer is dead. If this deer is alive, I'm going to go find him because. I, From the start, I had a semi-general area. We're talking about maybe like four square miles. So it wasn't that I went out and just found this deer automatically on my own. I knew there was a deer somewhere of that caliber in that area. All right, so I get into it. I hang cameras this summer, and about two weeks in, boom, there he is. And I'm immediately like kind of in shock, and he doesn't look injured at all. So I was like, man, this is tight lip situation right here. (laughs) Like all year, this this is tight lip. Don't tell us. You know, and uh, so I started moving and I, I missed a lot. Like if you look at the way a lot of the pictures lay out, it would almost seem like, you know, I flooded the place with cameras. I ran about. It was like five cell cams, two regular cams, maybe three regular cams. And they got moved pretty often. And to tell you how smart this deer was, on one of the places that I got him daylight the most, when I originally moved that camera there, there was a camera pretty close to there. The deer quit showing up for like three weeks. And I went in right before a rain, tried to wash my scent out and everything, because I was pretty sure of what I was doing. So he like kind of ghosted. It, and I was like, man, this deer is touchy. I knew it like immediately. Well, it goes on and I'm I'm like laying in bed every night looking at maps, just just like pulling onyx up so, and trying to block it out. I'm like, how much is he using? Like where could he be coming from? Yada yada yada. I'm taking into account direction and wind and I'm 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 trying to lay all this out. And to be honest, there really wasn't any correspondence. What I came to the conclusion of that this deer was doing, he would daylight during the middle of the week when road traffic was low and on the weekends he would not show up till around midnight on that on that camera I was getting him on the most originally.
1: And what time of the season, what time of the year was this?
3: We're talking getting into late October, November. So like initially there were some velvet pictures and then, you know, I started popping cameras in trying to figure out his travel routes. And there were several cameras in that time, like two or three where I got like one picture. So he would use that travel route, and consistently through the season, there was one travel route he only used at, like, 1 a.m., like, once every two weeks. So, like, you're just like, why, you know? And the only thing I can think is, it getting towards that time of year, he's, he's trying to lay down sign and maybe start checking doe populations. Where are they, you know? Where where am I going to lay my route at to when I get going? So we start moving in to – pre-rut well at this point i have a lot of cameras up and during the summer he had used one bed pretty consistently like in august and he completely abandoned that bed going into pre-rut and the other camera that i had the first shed right after a shed, that he popped up on he was showing up there consistently and i'm talking about like right before daylight, right after dark, like two, three times a week. So I was like, man, he's bedding like 200 yards, like somewhere right there. All right? So at that point, I'm trying to decide, do I go in and try to kill this dude with a bow if he will give me the chance? And I'm fighting with myself, fighting with myself, and uh, he daylights. And I was like, man, I got to do it. I got to go in and hunt him with a bow. I, I've got to try. So I went in and... I got a really good look. You know, you see stuff in the summer and like you're hanging cams, you're kind of looking for different things. Just dear son. once I got in there, I realized it was an absolute thermal nightmare. Like everything started like clicking together. Uh, it was basically a thermal hub at the mouth of a ridge top with a cutover, a super short cutover all surrounding it. So he was bedding in like short pine cutover and the trees you could get in, he was going to skyline like before he even stepped out. So I knew then I was like, man, I'm really, I'm really wasting my time. You know, this deer. And I was giving the deer so much credit. I was like, this is why he's so old. I mean, anybody that's entered this area, I mean, he just automatically knows. So we pushed forward a little bit and he daylighted another day and rifle was in. I want
1: to know, I want to know, uh, before you move on, I want to know what you did that day. Did you just back out completely, or did you hunt somewhere?
3: No, I hunted. I hunted, and I tried to throw my wind out of the hub. And uh, I wasn't exactly sure where his bed was in the cutover, but I, I, I generally think that the I, – I really think that deer watched me walk in. Light, no light, anything, I think that deer – because there's a gate, and you kind of have to drop down it, turn to the right, and then come back from the direction you came – and I think he was literally watching the gate, and he saw my truck pull up.
1: Yeah.
3: Any day that I hunted him in that general area, he did not show up till midnight that night. If he showed up,
2: yeah, he just knew. So,
3: yeah, I mean, he had it. He had it so down pat because of being hunted in that area, and he would move in between like private and publics at certain time, because the block I was hunting had po- private on three sides, and one of the privates is not huntable. The guy will not give permission. And it was just one of those situations. He had a safe haven. <clears throat> so we get into December. And he daylights. It's gun season. I was like, I'm going to make a move. I tried to come in a different way. And we're talking about like, we're pushing 2.5 miles in. I get about three quarters of a mile in and bump him on the trail. I'm walking on uh. bump right off of it. Cause I was, it was like gray light. I was running late and he was bedded on it. So I immediately shift. There was another deer in that general vicinity that I could walk like another mile and possibly hunt. So I drop down to this bottom and I head that way. It's getting like really gray lot by the time I get there, like starting to really get up. And I'm arguing with myself. I'm like, should I try to get in a tree or do I need to just sit in this bottom and wait? And I was arguing with myself, arguing with myself, and I really didn't like the situation I was in. I was like, man, I need to get in a tree. I took one step, and that other deer was coming down in the hollow with me and saw me. <laughs> I'm talking about a very large deer, like bigger than the deer I killed last year. So <laughs> two in one day, I was just like, here it
2: was, you know. And was this on that rifle weekend that you were talking about? Or yes. Was
3: it- okay yeah Still so right. by the time i realized he saw me there was no getting my gun up like he was wow. he was at the top of the ridge on the edge of a cutover and as soon as i stepped he turned and ran into the cutover and i was like great <laughs> great i'm just headed both of these deer you know that i'm here
1: i have those those moments man i had one in north dakota i always he you know when i always feel like i do this is when i know there's a good deer in there um it, and I try to get aggressive. I try to get super aggressive because I know he's there. Uh, in North Dakota, for example, it happened. I bumped a big deer off of a bed, and that afternoon, went back and hunted him. Later that afternoon, and as soon as my foot hit the hit the leaves inside the wood line, he got up and ran off. Mm. And it's like it, it's like one of those things. Man, it's like sometimes I just wish I wouldn't know if he was there or not. You know? Um, yeah. But but I, I do think it does it does help you in the long run to, with what you're talking about, and I do want to say this too, as we're talking about this, Jordan, me and you, um, we we have uh, a lot of similarities in the style that we hunt. I think Matt is the same way, uh, but you and Matt really align more in the realm of trail cameras, and I don't I don't use any of them, and y'all are using. I I have a I have an internal argument going on with myself about about cell cameras specifically. I'm not against them. Not, I I enjoy this element of surprise, but I I, I want to find this balance in here. So, um, as we talk, I I want people to understand that that I like. I think everything's a progression, right? You you progress. You should be trying to progress in any way possible. As I hear people like you, Jordan, talk about. Like, talk about using cell cameras and the term daylighting and, and all this stuff. It's so completely different from the style of hunting that I'm used to, Um but it's legal. I, I don't necessarily think it's unfair and it fits what you're doing. Um So, like, I've had conversations on other podcasts recently where I've said, you know, I don't do it because I don't uh, – I just don't do it. You know, I, I like the element of surprise and, and stuff like that, but I am very curious on how you're doing this too. So we're going to get into that here in just a second, but go ahead and continue that story. Um, But I just kind of wanted to put that little, you know, precursor in there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm cautious. I'm, I'm not sold one way or the other. You know what I mean?
3: And this is a, in a short summary to lead up what to what you were talking about or, to re, re, not necessarily rebuttal as an argue, because I completely agree with you. Um, one of my best friends, I only, there were only a couple of people that knew really what was going on with the deer and they hunt other places. And there was several times we talked about, am I hurting myself more than I'm helping? Because this is actually the first year that I've ran them this heavy. Because my buddy was like, "Dude, how do you know? You know, how do you know you're exactly on an exit that he's using? How do you know that he's not moving every single day and you're getting him at dark? How do you know? Are you are you spending time elsewhere when you could have already killed this deer, whereas you probably would have went and hunted anyway?
1: Yeah. And maybe and maybe, and why- maybe I would have killed him because he was just going right behind the camera, whatever. And maybe I would have just blown him out of there forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just." That that, this is that, go ahead. That's exactly where I'm at. So,
3: uh, anyway, continuing on, I bumped both the deer and I was like, man, I was pretty down on myself. Uh, and it actually turned out that right. Like, I mean, the next day I stopped getting any type of picture on any trail, any bed, anything. And, uh, I was pretty confident in the way that I had set up the cameras and moved them because of the way that he was moving. Uh, the deer didn't really leave he left two rubs in a 600 acre area that I knew where it is because of the size of them, height wise and just I mean you can't tell what deer is making what's great
2: I mean you, some yeah.
3: people I guess may think they can but so <clears throat> I was kind of like you know I was pretty sure where he was I, 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 if he was going to move I would have him. but that's just me being confident in myself in reality I could have been totally off and got completely lucky but anyway continuing on uh they, he disappeared and this is like end of december uh or like actually i'm i'm messing up a little bit my daughter's born we go to the hospital it's december 27th and there was a spot there where he didn't really show up I mean, we're talking about like three, four days leading up. And because I was really trying to push before my daughter was born to kill the deer. Because I was like, I need to get this done. Like I was actually like mentally hurting myself in my decisions because I was pushing myself. Uh and my daughter's coming, like everything's going going on, and my wife is actually like dilating. And it's uh it's like eight o'clock in the morning. And so there he is, broad daylight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I turned the phone and showed him. <laughs> push baby push (laughs) but hold on Um, i gotta show you something (laughs)
3: like literally really right now like of all time like can you not can you not (laughs) and uh so i just i had to have a mental conversation because i'm hyper obsessive so like i had an internal battle with myself as far as being a responsible adult and a parent (laughs) to not try to get up and go hunt that deer so i just had to mentally give up for the year right then like i was like whatever happens it's out of my control at this point i get, i gave it my best and that's all i could do
1: you always hear people talk about how those big mature bucks are those big old mature bucks are they're just smarter man they just know they're just smarter what we didn't know is that this specific deer went out and got a facebook profile and was keeping tabs on your life and uh, he was keeping tabs on you, knew that your your daughter was being born, so he just decided he's going to move around that day.
3: Had <laughs> free reign. It's interesting because uh, one thing I forgot to mention is there was a guy uh, hunting pretty close to this deer. I don't think – I had a camera set up on that – on the way in because I wanted to actually see who was heading towards where the deer's – what I consider his core was. So I knew there was a guy in the vicinity, but he wasn't getting close enough. But he literally hunted every single day of bow season, and then like the first three weeks of He was there every day. So I don't know. I never saw him. I ended up walking in the gate because I knew he wasn't hunting the same area. I ended up walking in the gate one time when he was there, and uh, I was planning on like speaking to him and being like, "Hey man, like this is kind of what's going on. Like, are you seeing this deer or anything?" but I never got the opportunity. I still to this day don't know who he is, but I am a hundred percent sure he was in there hunting because he had a picture of
1: that deer. Sure. Uh, if he was hunting it every day, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, he
3: was, I mean, Wearing it out. where we're from, I mean, a deer like this is a, I mean, you're talking, you know, this is as good as it gets up here. I mean, and that's just the reality of it. I mean, you might get, you know, a one sixty every once in a while, but I mean, this is, this is what you're after. well, so my daughter's being born, and the next day uh, my wife actually labored for 18 hours. <laughs> so like we're awake, it's long, and then like the 18th hour they decide to have a C-section, and I was like, so it's like worst-case scenario, dude. And at like this point, like I'm so nervous. Uh, they go in to give the C-section, they like sit me down in the hallway. Like I, I'm like out of it. I'm just like I, this is beyond me. Like what I'm mentally able. to, <laughs> this moment and they walked me in the room and like they were like hey man you, you gotta walk over there and sit down like i walked in was just like looking around like a deer in headlights i was like whoa <laughs> like what's happening right now so my daughter's born and like i'm smitten i mean everything's awesome uh the next morning comes and boom he daylights again <laughs> and i was like M-. like immediately like my internals like switch again and i'm like I- i go i gotta go but i knew i couldn't and that proceeded to happen for the next three days after that so another mental defeat in my mind i was like that was my window i mean you're when you're talking about a deer of this age class like how many does he give i mean that's it did your wife disappears
1: again did your wife know the the this like mental struggle that you were having or were you just keeping it all to yourself uh,
3: I'm, I'm sure she knows me so well. So I'm sure she was like, you know, this idiot is like literally having like a mental struggle over it. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
2: I I feel you, Jordan. I'd, I'd be the same way. Just want to crawl up in a ball and just lay there. Cause oh. he said his, his time's limited on how many times he's going to daylight and when's he going to go back in that little hole again.
3: And that was, that was one of the reasons I started this. So, like I said, I've ran trail cameras before. But it was only to get like a generalization of what was in the area and like, you know, kind of like see like checking like some hubs and like some ridgelines and stuff like that just to see if there were good deer in the area consistently. I've never targeted a deer. And in my mind, when you're talking about the elite of the elite whitetail hunters that have done this for years, I mean, most of them are in the Midwest, but it's surgical removal. They go in to kill one deer. They wait till the time right. they hit it, and they kill him. And, like, so in my mind, like, I, I knew I was taking on a task. I was like, a lot of times I was like, this is above me. And I even had a conversation with three of my best friends. I was like, I'm just not good enough. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Like, this deer is smarter than I am as far as, like, I mean, I'm in his world. So after he day it like that, he actually did disappear, And it was crazy because I got COVID, like, right after my daughter was born. And, dude, I felt horrible. Like, a lot of people I know were like, yeah, man, I hunted all week. Like, it was awesome. And, like, dude, I felt terrible. (laughs) Like, I was sitting there thinking, like, now's my chance, dude. I'm going to go in and I'm going to wax him. and, like, I'm stoved up, like, in a ball.
2: Yep, that that was my exact thoughts. So I was like, please, please give it to me so I can go hunt for a week. But, no, I was, I was in my recliner all day. <laughs> yeah.
3: And uh, so I ended up getting one hunt in, and I adjusted some. I knew I didn't want to be in that spot, and I put a hunt in on him pretty close to there. And uh, it was one of the places I found one of his rubs. And while I was hunting – on the private that can be hunted. Uh, I heard four consecutive shots. The first thing it rang off my head, he's chasing and they're shooting at him. That was just like, you know how your mind goes. I was like, there he is. I'm like, God, like I can't do anything about it. But I never heard a percussion off of any of the shots. So I was like, maybe they didn't kill him. So I kind of hold back and I stay at home for a little while and uh, try to take care of things at home, especially because, I mean, I still moved on the weekends. and was mobile, but I just was not. I couldn't hit a lick on anything. I really think it was like that deer just had me so zoned in on him, like I couldn't even just make a right decision. Well, January 5th, I was sitting at home, dude. My baby had been up all night crying. A camera that he had only shown up on at night, uh, basically that route that he was hitting like once every two weeks in the middle of the night he daylights in with a doe and we're talking about this is pretty late for what our rut is right there. It's generally like you're talking about December 14th to January 5th, like spread out. So like when I saw that deer with the doe, I was like, all right, he's alive. But, and I knew right then I was like, I would have never made the decision to go hunt him right there just based off cameras. I mean, I may have, if I wasn't running cameras because the spot's beautiful, but I knew right then he just got a free pass and I got a daylight picture. So I was thinking, I started in my mind pre-planning. I was like, if this deer will breed this, maybe this is the last one because we're getting late now. So may, if this is the last one, maybe he will pop up somewhere consistent on one of the beds and go back into trying to regain weight. And if he does that, if he will give me a tail, I'll go in and kill him. And I just don't say anything to anybody. Like I completely just kept it mouth shut, like I was like, I don't even want anybody to know. Because by this time, uh, this area that I'm hunting, you might have one person come out and hunt it, but it was pretty much a wasteland. All the does have kind of moved to other areas, and there's no bucks moving on does. So I wasn't worried about pressure. And that was one of the things I think that helped me was everybody cleared out, and it let, it let them settle down. So the next day, he shows up in a summer bedding spot. And he just walks by the camera at like five in the afternoon. And I was like, Okay. And it's funny, whenever I found that spot and I hung that camera originally, when I went in and looked at it, I one of my buddies I talked to him about it, I said, I promise you I will kill this dude right here. I promise you I'll kill him right there. Well, that day he daylights again in the afternoon right there. And I was just like, man, like. At this point, I'm everything's starting to click. I'm like, I have a my chances are rising. And this was like a Thursday or a Wednesday, and I was at work, so I was like, okay, I mean that's fine. I was way more relaxed at this point because I thought I had already lost this deer for the year. Uh, I think he didn't show up Thursday, and then like Friday, he like left at like twelve and came back at three, middle of the day. So and when he did that, I was like, I'm a hundred percent on the bed he's using. Like I know it. the only way he's, I'm going to catch a, a public land deer like this travel in this area in this way twice in one day in daylight is I'm right on top of him. So that gave me a big confidence boost. So I was thinking then I was like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to move and I'm going to catch him coming out of bed. Well, lo and behold, I don't know how many people have children, but my daughter had other plans. <laughs> she raised a mortal hell all night and uh i barely got any sleep i ended up sleeping from like 6 a.m to 9 a.m and uh my wife had already told me she was like a couple of my friends are going to come over we're going to go to target and you know just go out in town like i'm going to take the kid with us and yada yada. i was like okay cool i'll get some rest well at 12 p.m he leaves his bed and i it's not a great picture now on this camera There had been nothing but hogs. We're talking about over five months, four months. There had been nothing but hogs, one or two does, and this buck. That's it. No other bucks, nothing. So when I seen, like, just the body style, his head was behind a pine tree. I was like, that's him. I started comparing pictures, looking at, like, the base of the neck. I was looking at how much white he had on his tail. Like, I was, like, really trying to, like, is this him? And I just finally made the decision. I was like, well, dude, I'm pretty sure it's him. I got to go. And I looked at my wife and said, I got to go. Well, to sh- tell you how little I was hunting, two weeks before that, I went and shot a hog. And I actually waded through, like, knee-deep, knee-deep water at, like, 19 degrees. And, like, got home miserable for, like – and I was, like, two miles in. Like, I wasn't even supposed to be trying to kill a hog. And they just struck up. Well, I never washed those clothes. So, like, I go to put everything on, and it's wet. And <laughs> <laughs> So I throw everything on the dryer, like, as high as I can. And uh, her friends, like, I think they could kind of tell, like, I was, like, in the zone. They're like, are you not going to come with us? I was like, I cannot cannot explain it. I do not really want to go. Like, I'm, I'm almost over deer season, but I have to go. It's something in me, like, I have to do it. So I grab everything once it gets dry. I drive out. Obviously, there's nobody there. And uh, I get all my stuff out, dude. I don't even remember the walk-in straight up. I don't remember n- anything. I remember getting to the spot after about 45 minutes of walking. I had never actually sat in it. The camera was there. So I actually had to take 20 minutes and look and kind of look at, I knew where he would be coming from. He was going to be coming from the West. So I was like, man, you know, he's going to be below me, has a good chance of skylining me. So I ended up getting in like a triple tree been setting myself up well i'm there and i'm talking to one of my buddies but i was like yeah i made a move on him you know and, and you know i this is it i've given it my all you know i might give him one more tomorrow but you know i know i'm completely satisfied with the amount of effort that i have put in this year you know I, like my my work tank in internally is like yeah you've worked your ass off <laughs> so it wasn't like 10 minutes after that I hear him moving, but it's it's quick. He is jogging. He comes up out of a drainage, and he is actually on the private. He's probably about you know 200 yards. I was in a sliver of public between the cutover and the private. That's how you know little he was just using in that area. So first thing I'm thinking is, I gotta. It's going to be hard, but I have to let this deer cross the line, which is miserable. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, like miserable feeling. Like you don't know if he's going to take a turn and dive back off into another drainage. anything, but I like mentally checked my wind. I knew everything was good. So like I immediately reached around, snatched my gun. I forgot to bring a hanger. I literally clipped my gun to my wolf pack. Like, so I had to like unclip it and bring it around <laughs> and I'm sitting down. Well, as that happens, he's probably like 60 yards from the public line. Well, I thought he saw me. And the only thing I can really remember seeing is I mentally checked off like yellow rack, big G twos. That's him. That's a hundred percent him. Well, he was jogging, jogging, jogging. He stopped. I thought he saw me. He throws his nose up and just gives like, I'm talking about, we're talking about a half a second wind check and immediately like slams his head down and starts jogging again. And I was like, Oh shit. Like this deer does not like being exposed. Like the first thing I could tell by his body language, like this deer knows he is messing up right now. So I put my gun up and I find the road between the cutover, which is everything's totally public right there. He breaks the wood line and he was quartering to me. So he was going to pass me heading into the bed at about 25 yards. So as soon as he broke the line, dude, I, I shot him like front of the neck, blew this shoulder out. I'd imagine clipped one lung and blew the other lung out. He just flopped. He just flopped. And I was just, I, I didn't, I wasn't excited. Like, I wasn't like, hell yeah, dude. Like, I killed this dude. kind of like, this is the craziest moment that I actually pulled this off in this way. Like, I just didn't know how to feel. And I got it, almost so much so that he was laying there, and he was kind of in a gully. <laughs> and I was like, man, a deer of this caliber, I should really be able to see his rack. And did I just shoot like a three year old and, like, jump the gun? Which I would have been cool with, but I was like, man, I really just think it's him, so... I'm trying to get out of the tree. My aider falls off my foot. Like, dude, I'm shaking. So I'm like having to monkey myself down my stick. And like, I get over and I see him. And I just like, I just sat there, dude. I didn't even call anybody. I just sat there for a minute, just looking at him. Like mentally going through all of the pictures. And I was just like, this is one of the craziest things I'll ever do. To do something like this in Alabama, in my mind, me personally, the way that it worked out, I could see how some people would be like, you know, that's pushing it. But in all honesty, I do not think that deer would have died by Hunter without those cameras. He's just moved too smart.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's where your story to me is not a, it's not a, uh, well, you know, I just got lucky and being in the right place at the right time. You know, there's, there is definitely a, a chess match that's in there within those cameras for sure um it it, it's crazy and like you said parker i
2: i use trail cameras a pretty good bit and i could dive into 100 different wormholes to talk about cameras and your strategy behind it um and i know you uh jordan you said you started really early in the season kind of putting out cameras and trying to locate this deer and you you were successful in that um i've tried that i have not been successful in that just I don't know. Um but one thing that stood out to me is you said you put a couple cameras over some beds that you thought were his. How did you kind of um put those cameras on those beds to where he wasn't alerted by, you know, the infrared or the trigger trigger sound really? All right. So,
3: here's there was a eureka moment at some point. So, I had like two cameras up, three cameras up. And in the areas I was getting the deer, I was like going through maps one night and I realized in this cut, there's a road that you can't get to as a human. There is like a, a wide open trail that you can't get to. And like, I'd, have, I'd never, it had never clicked to me. Like this deer is running this road, like wide open during the middle of the day. Like if he is moving, that's where he's moving. So once that snapped, because there would be little branches of road, old road that would like Peter off and turn into cut over and then it would be like a 300-yard gap to where you could get to anywhere huntable to kill him.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, that's where he was showing up. And it clicked. I was like, dude, he is running this road. And he's getting a free pass. I mean, there's no tree you can get in there and climb. You cannot walk through it without blowing him out. But like he had it destroyed as far as, like, this deer had just been living. I mean, living free. So I noticed one of them – was the biggest like kind of, you know, it was a pretty good opening and it ran all the way to the wood line. And that's what led me to like right there, pretty close to that private. And uh, hung that cam. And I knew I just, everything just kind of lined up. I was like, man, any kind of pressure he would get, he should be able to hear or see anything that comes up here. But if he doesn't, it's such a tight spot. Not many people are going to risk it, you know, just knowing how close you are to private anyway. And then, you know, not knowing that there's a good deer in there, like they're going to pull it up on onyx. on onyx, It literally looks like the line, but once you get in there, you actually have like a 60 yard play. Mm-hmm. So it just made sense to me and how I hung the cameras. And I've been doing this for a while. I'll just take a stick in with me and my linemans and I'll climb up and, uh, I just buy those little screw in that attach to the bottom and I'll bend yeah. them back okay and he dude he never i didn't have him on video or anything but not once did any deer kind of you know we're talking 12 foot high i mean i'm sure they might have heard a click, but they were just like Uh, well yeah
2: what are they going to look at at that point okay well sweet and what what kind of cameras are you using like as far as your cell camera setups
3: i use the tactic camera bills and the reason being is like and i tell like my buddies this like pictures of deer are cool killing a deer is a lot cooler. <laughs> I don't really care like what the quality is like they're decent enough quality that I can go oh that's him. And that's all I need to know. Right. So that's where yeah. I like come in on that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I use the uh well these aren't cell cameras but I use the Tascos and the you know they're like the 25 bucks and you can just barely make out the image of a deer but that's good enough for me.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, and I had three regular Tascos in there. Yeah. Yeah, I want
1: to know. I, I like using those. I want to know, uh, so so you were hanging it. You, you said you had, like, five different cameras, and I want to know how you kind of broke down. Like, this is where I always struggle with trail cameras, especially with a specific deer like this, you know. Um, like, I've gotten big. Like So I have some some trail cameras. I don't have any cell cameras, but I've got some trail cameras, just regular ones, um, like maybe five or six of them. And I don't ever use them. Like they literally just are sitting in a box because I don't ever use them. Um, I get them for Christmas like every year. And I don't ever put them out. Uh, Because I feel like uh, I can tell you a general area of where I could go in and potentially get a shot at a deer. But being able to pinpoint it to one like tiny 20 foot spot is is a different story. And so I feel like it's going to be a waste of time. I want to know how you were precise and where you were putting that,
3: man and it's kind of crazy i think that that area specifically you know once i realized he was running that road that was his tail it told me everything i needed to know and i didn't know for 100 percent, but in my mind i did i was like that's it like i know he's doing that so when i shifted those cameras that last time it was just like domino effect boom boom he's coming out he's exiting. he's exiting. so like in a very large open block of woods what i did i would have struggled a lot more with but like in the beginning before i made that assumption i just i did not apply any knowledge that i had previously gained i told myself i'm gonna let the deer tell on itself so i took the direction that he was coming from and dude, I would just find drainages that I thought that he would drop at some point. And I was trying to work my way closer to where I thought he was fitting, which ended up being right, but he was actually turning a corner in there. So I was headed the right direction. And I think I still probably would have killed him without coming to the conclusion he was running that road, but it would have been way further down because that's where he ended up. he, He ended up coming from anyway, he was running this one finger, really hard and it's full on public right on the corner of that private so he could drop in this drainage get up on top of this ridge drop back into that finger and get to the other private and it's so deep that nobody's going to hunt it
1: what i find interesting is that this buck which was did you say he was eight and a half
3: he was so originally when i pulled up with him i kept him overnight uh there were two biologists there and obviously I mean, you know, I can't really say what I'm about to say, but he had to get checked. And uh, they opened his jaw and they said six and a half. Well, I was like, I want y'all to look at this. So I pulled up pictures from 2019 and like, I'm sure you've seen the picture of tank body. Mm -hmm. Like the deer in 2020 had a split G2. He was about 150, 560 inch deer. So he was smaller this year. I know most deer peak at around seven. He looked like he was five or six in 2019. So once they saw the pictures and I explained everything out to them, they were like, dude, that teeth are not always accurate. And that deer is absolutely over seven. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. And, and oh, so, man. so what I think is interesting about this is that it seemed like the deer had some very repeatable actions and depending yeah. on which part of the season it is, And, and typically down here in the South, you don't find that with most bucks, they'll just because there's so many good bedding opportunities for them, um, you know, one ridge, you know, 300, 400 yards away is going to be just as good as the other one. So if he just happens to find himself over there, a lot of bucks are not going to use the same beds over and over and over and over again. But it sounds like in different phases of the season he would shift his bed based on, you know, what was popular. But I, th- I think it's interesting, though, when you said um, on Jan- – I guess it was January or something like that. It was later, closer when you killed him, that he, he, he was back in the bed that he was in in the early season. So he went back to a more steady thing based on – Probably food. I mean, he probably went to, back to where he summer, is, spends all spring and summer at, because that's where the consistent food source is. Um, And and in between, it was like, man, like, you, you, just, you just, you might be able to get an idea of the area he's using based on the dough, but that dough is going to dictate where he goes. You're not going to get those repeatable things. And so, Correct. you know, um... I think where what what interests me here is the use of a cell camera during those two times of the season, early season and late season, because those are like you said, you said something really good a, a while ago. You said that, you know the place kind of becomes a barren wasteland. It people are not killing deer out there this time of the season. There's not a lot of people out there hunting. Uh, because the, the bucks simply aren't moving a whole lot but if and it's the same thing in the early season too at least where i hunt um in a lot of the big woods type areas in the south where there's not a ton of ag you, you get that you know it seems like the deer just kind of crawl in a hole and hibernate all early season all all bow season and then late season and you have like a month window when you can potentially kill one but cell cameras make it possible to keep up with these repeatable patterns if you have them in the right spot you know you can yeah because you don't have the ability or the luxury of being able to put a corn pile out there and attract deer in the late season yes um the cell camera seems to be kind of the way that people are consistent and it
3: almost to me and obviously this is my first time doing this but it opened my eyes to a lot of things um what it said to me was that I think now that these really large, mature bucks are moving more than we think they are, but it is a very defined – I mean, we're talking about a path that they are absolutely confident in, and I think that's what hurt him. I think I had the camera in the right spot, and he was confident. He'd probably been there for – you know, six years doing the same thing and like never saw a person. When my buddy got back there, he was like, man, that's why this deer was here. He's like, who the hell's going to come hunt this? <laughs> like you're so, you're so deep and it's such a, just a little sliver. Like dude, he had a, he had a free ride. So it makes me wonder, you know, obviously I'm going to try to repeat this again. Uh, but it makes me wonder, you know, how many, do the same thing is it is it almost every every big deer or even just mature buck in general that they know to the point that they can define a path and they know they have an escape route to the point that they know that they can walk open daylight through certain slivers and get away with it
2: and and it's even like you said earlier you you bumped him but he was confident enough in that in that space he he either left you know, for a couple of days, but he was, right, he was right back in there because he had confidence in where he lived and how he did things.
3: This is my thought on that. And I've thought this over and over again since it happened. In my mind, a lot of people are so nervous to go in and bump a, a good deer. But in my mind, maybe a deer thinks that when you bump him, got him, that's exactly why I'm here and I need to stay mm-hmm. here.
2: That's right they've they got to think about it and and you also think about the pressure from the guy at the beginning uh like you said you had him on camera he was he's in there every day hunting you know how was he educating that deer what what how was that affecting it and there's a lot of things that come into there but another question i have for you jordan i know you said in that pine thicket there was some hogs that big buck and a couple does. How were your other cameras kind of translating as far as deer activity? Were there more younger bucks, does? What kind of was, what were they kind of doing?
3: Okay. So uh, this is where it gets like also super interesting. I can give you an exact, uh, I pulled out the area of what I was able to actually hunt, not including the private that he was fully using and it was a 600-acre span. So at one point during the season, he was using a full 600 acres. On the cameras I got does on, there was like six does in that area. There was a group of four and a group of two really mature does. That's it for does. But the second week in December when pre-rut hit on one camera that come through a good thermal bottom, like on a creek crossing, Mm -hmm. I got like 40 pictures of different bucks running that same lane which obviously, like, next year, I'm like, dude, I know where to be as long as I can. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah,
2: stay (laughs) in there.
3: The story, you know, and one of them was, like, a mega. Like, we're talking about 140-inch eight-point, and I only have one picture of him. I mean, it was just an off deer, but so many deer use that, and I was actually meant to hunt that spot, but it wasn't open for gun, and a lot of those pictures happened on a bow weekend in that area when nobody was traveling the roads on that side which is also interesting to me. So it, it kind of clicked for me this year. Like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be trying to get in an area with a gun just to kill a deer. Maybe I should go where I know I need to be.
1: Well, mm-hmm. I'm right. wondering when I see your trail camera pictures of this buck that you shared um, on your, on your Instagram. And then uh, hearing you talk about it, it sounds like you didn't kill him on a Creek crossing. It sounds like you killed him in a more awkward maybe type like not like you look at it and think there's going to be deer here but you could yeah. look at it and say this is just right for a big giant
3: mature deer. yes big knob high ridge dumping into a, a cut and it's like almost like until he's right there you're not going to see
1: him and you're probably and not going to see a lot of other deer right
3: no that was the exact thoughts going into the area and i tell a lot of people that ask me questions this often because I've walked so much and seen so much now I hunt nowhere near sign. I literally like when I see sign, I almost don't even pay attention to it because I, I think our deer are so smart or a deer is so smart and I may give them too much credit that do you think that a coyote isn't smart enough to camp a scrape? You know what I mean? So why would he do it when he has all of this area that he can hide in why would he not, you know, just like that pattern people, they probably pattern predators. So my thoughts on that are, you know, a deer may be smart enough to know that where he's leaving his signs are probably nighttime travel routes because these places that I've killed good deer, there's none. There's none.
1: Same. I have the same experience. Yeah. I don't see I don't see a lot of really good deer where there's a ton of sign. It's usually something else. It's usually some type of terrain vegetation, something like that, which, which points me to it. Sometimes, sometimes there's sign around it, you know, um, sometimes I might go in blind and not even know there's sign around it. But I I remember talking to Nathan Killen, uh, two summers ago about specifically about hunting mountain bucks. And he kind of explained something. and, And this is one of those like things that he kind of probably just breezed over, but it was so big in my mind. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the whole point of this podcast. Uh, he was like, big, giant, mature bucks aren't going to be, they're, they're not going to be in all the big sign on the on the flat, on the acorn flat of the ridge where you got two and a half year old bucks making scrapes and, you know, throwing down all this big sign. The big buck, they're not going to be far because they're not going to be a long ways from the general population of deer, mm-hmm. but they're going to be off of it. They're going to be off of those trails. So thinking about your situation, it it just very much seemed like it was an awkward spot, you know, to 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 set up to set up but not only that to set up a trail camera. Like yes. like it seemed like a weird a weird spot. So when you talk about precision trail camera placement for big bucks, for mature deer, what about that specific spot? said that specific awkward, weird, not gonna get a lot of deer on it spot. What about that like made you put it right there? The trail going into the cut so that it was so that that road that you're talking about or that that cut trail
3: with the way that it opened up compared to every other trail around that cut that I knew he was he was living in, it was just a it was a highway. I mean, a human would still struggle to get in there without blowing a deer out, but comparatively, it was his easiest access point. And for a deer that is probably avoiding pressure very well for how he moves through the area, he's like, he's probably thinking, boom, I can get in there easy out, make no noise, you know, and I'm right, I'm getting right into an area, you know, where I know where these people are hunting. They're probably hunting greenfields. And it's funny, like I actually touched base with the guy that hunted the private. And I sent him a picture of the deer. I said, do you have this deer on camera? I was obsessed at this point. Like, I had to know, like, what he was doing. And he showed up to me. He was like, yeah, I got him on scrape at night. And this was the first year he hunted it. And I ended up talking to him, dude. And we sat down and looked at my onyx. And he was pretty much like, dude, the amount of homework you've done on this deer, like, you deserve to kill him, Pretty (laughs) much. And, uh, you know, I wanted to show him, like, especially because I'm bouncing around this line, you know, I wanted to show him my onyx as well just so he knew like i'm not going to trespass on you i'm not going to shoot this deer across the line because i've got to win the war anyway i have to get him to make the mistake legally yeah and we we ended up talking about it a lot and i called him right after i killed the deer and i was actually i was so deep i was like hey man like can you bring a razor over here or something? <laughs> yeah. and he was stoked he was on his way to the hospital with stomach virus and he was like dude awesome like i knew you were gonna kill him and he asked me where i was and i told him and he was like look dude like we need to go walk the property during turkey season like we we gained a good relationship out of it and i'm not encouraging people to do that because there was also a guy who had seen my truck parked there on the public that owned a piece by it and he had told that guy the guy ended up telling me he said, man, he's walking his property every day, like trying to catch you trespassing or something. I said, Well, he can walk it every day. I mean he's I'm not doing anything illegal, you know. So but that just tells you you can get two totally different interactions depending on the, the person's personality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And thinking thinking about um going into that kind of precision stuff, I think the part where I would probably get thrown off, maybe Matthew too. I I don't know. You might be you might do the same thing but is the shift. It sounds like, it sounds like you, you cast a wide net at the beginning and then you start shifting and, and moving and going closer and closer and closer to where that becomes a part of the, I mean, that's the precision, right? That's the, that's the, okay, we're getting into killing time. I need to know exactly where he is. And so you are just kind of cast in that wide net and, um, And then going closer and closer and closer. And I think that's for a lot of people. They'll leave the same trail camera up on the same tree. And if they move that trail camera, it's because they're moving it to a completely different area. You know, five miles down the road because they want to check out another area. And they're not using it to focus in on one spot and to break down one spot. But what it sounds like it happened for you, maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds like what happened is you cast that wide net and you gained some intel for other deer. And other potential, potential spots because you cast that wide, that wide net. And while you were hunting a specific deer, you were in the process, you gained some intel. Matt, do you, go ahead, go ahead,
3: Jordan. Real quick, like to the point of, uh, just to kind of tell you, like, there is also a very large deer using this area, but it's almost like two opposite ends of the 600 acres. Like one's leaning more towards one private. The other's leaning more towards the other private. And like, I didn't have a lot of time to invest in that deer. He's also three. And I think he's going to be a giant next year. He's already like 22 inches wide, but it told me from what I know now, like I've gotten one daylight picture of him and, uh, one right at daylight and then like three nighttime pitchers. Now I immediately know like I'm nowhere close to killing that deer. I've got to, I've got to figure out where his core is and start adjusting as soon as I get the chance to, to get closer.
1: You did that a little bit, Matt, this year kind of in that you took one area and really tried to break down. Like, like I think about 600 acres when I was a, when I was a 16 year old kid, you give me daggum 600 acres to work with, that's a ranch, man. Like, that's yeah, a lot of forever, land. You know. Yeah, you could all, that's that's your family property, you know. That's not a small piece of land. So, you're learning that, even though you were just hunting that one deer. Matt, you kind of did the same thing this year. Yeah,
2: I had a deer from last year that I knew was there was in the area and he showed up every year like right in mid-November did the same thing this year and I just said hey I am going to deploy cameras figure out where he is and you know I had a cell camera and I had some other non-cell cameras that I just let soak they're still out there I've got to go back and check them um but I kind of I, I honed in where the deer was never got to his core area i knew kind of his travel route where where he was cruising and kind of how he was working but he ended up getting killed two miles from where i had him on camera um and where i thought i could actually kill him so you know as much work as you can put in with these trail cameras these deer can change overnight they they can go five miles in a day and be gone um it's just staying on top of them like you did jordan finding that area where he's comfortable and staying there in him. Um, so I, I'm actually going to try to do more of what you, you've talked about, Jordan, uh, for this next year uh, and ready to ready to try that out. I've so got to
3: encourage you on that. So I'm, I'm not trying to, I got to say it while it's on my mind. No, you're fine. I wish that I could pull up like maps and kind of show you. Uh, a guy actually sent me some of the missing pictures of where he went missing. And to the point that I had a track and I showed it to him where I had walked in there and started to hang a camera because I was pretty sure that's where he was. He was on the other side of those private, bumping into public. Now he was only doing it a night. He was staying on that private that couldn't be hunting, but he, in my mind, deer pre-plan when you're getting into pre-rut, like in leading up to pre-rut before testosterone peaks and does go in. I think those deer already have certain pockets of those they're going to go to. Yes. So, whenever that happened it just kind of verified and like you know you're looking at a block of woods you're like man this deer could be anywhere but i really as the crow flies we're talking about two miles but as like boots on the ground an area to hunt the way i look at it now after this the deer wasn't far he wasn't far at all
1: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i mean crazy you you think about one creek bottom i mean we could sit we could go out right now and hike a creek bottom and go two miles in 30 minutes
3: you know what i mean it was literally bridges over yeah i mean it's It's not a way to put it's not it's
1: not it's not far especially for a deer that's in better shape than i am you know what i mean like (laughs) oh yeah
2: they're moving especially if they're if they're cruising
1: yeah yeah when they got when they got that good good on the mind do there's a lot i'd walk a lot a long ways (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) like (laughs) uh people two wars two years
2: <laughs> two years ago i had a deer who i think it was right at three miles that he would travel every year i had a buddy he would summer on his property stay there hang out and then right at christmas two years in a row within two days he was over at my place chasing does till february and then he would go back over there summer come back the next year and then he ended up getting shot but it's just crazy what these deer do and how like you said how quick they can move and two miles is nothing to them but we can you know we think about walking it and we're getting winded already yeah
1: so i got one more question for you jordan um and we'll let you get some sleep because you gotta wake up and go to work and then go to school and then take care of your newborn you gotta you gotta busy life ahead of you. <laughs> I would say a busy yeah. day ahead of you. You got a busy life ahead of you. Um yes. so in your beginning phases, I want to leave listeners with this so anybody could potentially, you know, try to replicate it. In your in your first setup of of trail cameras, you're you're putting them out there. Are you putting I know a lot of guys put all their eggs in the scrape basket. So they're going to go out early season, try to find a community scrape close to bedding and do that. Um, Then a lot of people are doing creek crossings, which is places where they find heavy trails with lots of tracks in it. And then some guys are doing terrain features, you know, like what's, what's your, what's your advice for that? At the beginning phases of your trail cameras.
3: My take on it is, from what I've learned from trail cameras is that in that early season, especially in velvet and leading into it, uh, if a deer's going to move and you're probably going to get a picture of him, he's going to do it similar to that he would in pre-rut based on the picture sets that I have. So where I put the cameras originally were terrain based. I mean, I knew that it was a winning combo for thermals where he was, and if a big buck in that area was going to move somewhere, he was he would have to move there if he was going to do it in daylight especially so that he could have the upper hand. Like the, a scrape's cool, but it might be a one-off scrape. A rub's cool, a creek crossing is cool, but he may not use that all the time. But a deer is always going to do what's best in his interest as far as using that wind and scent. So I feel like if you have, you know, in a 500, 600 acre area, a super high point, and you can find a hub in it or some kind of thermal winning situation. He's going to show himself.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense because I mean, realistically in that, in that phase, you know, in August or whatever, um, you don't really care whether it's daylight or nighttime Yeah, You know what I mean? You just want to know that the deer's there. That's at least my take on it. That would be what I would be trying to do. I would be trying to buy opening day, of bow season of archery. So for here, it's beginning of October. I would like to know, I would like to be zoned in at least on his core area for that point. And then, and then you got to shift again because everything's going to change three more times before the season's over. So you got to, you got to shift and try to find him again. So I think, I think that's pretty sweet. That's a, that's a good way to end it for give people those, uh, kind of just how to get started with it, with this precision. And, and really zoning in on on one deer, both one deer and one area you know breaking down a full area using trail cameras. And so uh Matt, do you have anything else for Jordan before we go?
2: I think that that really covers it. I enjoyed this one.
1: yeah man. I'm excited excited about turkey season man. Jordan, oh, I know yeah. you're uh, you're getting fired <laughs> up. Dude so uh, first turkey season with a with a baby that's gonna be fun for you.
3: Yeah. First question my wife asked after I killed that deer, she said, "So when's turkey season?" Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's 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 gonna happen forever now. Like, they're always gonna be like, "So when is that next season that you're gonna be gone all the time?" Um, yeah. But I think all three of us were uh were blessed in that in that regard with wives who get it, and they may not get it, but they at least try to get it, and they put uh, up with it. Yeah, they put up with it. <laughs>
3: Um, man, one thing that I'd I'd like to include, like a lot of people know me around here, and I I have a very headstrong personality, but to get in a situation with a deer like this, and for it to pan out, and to go through so many ups and downs in a season, it's nothing short of humbling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's got to, it, when you when you realize. Like, what you've said so many times, like, I was done. I was pretty well just beat. He beat me. He was smarter than I am. He beat me. Um, you were able to kill him, but, man, the things that, even if you didn't kill him, the things that you learned about yes. how smart uh, an eight-and-a-half-year-old buck is, like, that's... Incredible. That's worth it, you know? I mean, you got an experience that... I know very few people that have killed eight-and-a-half-year-old deer, Um
2: in Alabama.
1: Yeah, in Alabama, in a place where, I mean, there, there's there's very, I hunted, just for an example, as an example to you, I hunted in Mississippi, right across the state line of Alabama. Um, I mean, right across the state line. There were trucks everywhere. I passed public land in Alabama. There were trucks all over the place. I get to Mississippi, nobody there. Not a soul there. um the hunting pressure here is just I, I don't know what it is there's just a lot of it and and it's hard to find a, a big buck like that but they are there they're there i mean and i think i think utilizing some of these tactics would uh would show people you know if you, if you learn this this aspect and it is very much a learning game cuz you can't just go hang a trail camera over any tree you know whatever you've got you've still got to understand how deer are using the area um but it can really, really help you in in understanding the quality. I think that's more more than anything in just a transparent way. I, I'll say this: that's why I want to use trail cameras is just to know the type of deer. You know, I, yeah. I I I shoot plenty of decent bucks. You know, bucks that are and I've killed some that are good bucks, like really nice bucks. But um, I think knowing the the caliber of deer that are in an area kind of forces you to lay off a little bit, you know, and it it encourages you to, to really see what you can really do. So anyways,
3: for me, me, going into all this, when I first started doing this uh, on public land several years ago, I gave myself a five-year plan. I'm a very methodical person in the way that I do things. I, I like to have a system and a plan. I gave myself five years to kill a good public land deer. We're talking like 120 plus. It just so happened. I bow hunted the first year, saw a mega. The second year I was able to get it done. Uh, So I was pushing myself to elevate myself as a hunter. And I think it was just that want uh, to go to push myself to grow, not to be, not to settle, you know, there's a lot of days you walk in the woods and you're like, man, I might take it easy today. And I would get in a conversation with myself and be like, dude, you're a slacker. Like you're going to man up. It doesn't matter if you have to wake up at three in the morning, the next day you're here now and you're going to man up. So, and it's it's just that drive to, to grow. I want to grow in all things that I do. And I, I feel like if people will adopt that, And go even putting out trail cameras, like talking about a starting point. When I go back and look at it, the best place to kill them was the hardest place to get to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take that into consideration as well. Yeah. Don't slack. Just go ahead and go.
1: Jordan Pope, everybody. I mean, that was. I feel like I just listened to David Goggins give a, a motivational speech right there. I'm hard for myself You gotta get hard You gotta want it
2: I'm waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning I don't know what I'm doing But I'm waking up at 3 o'clock
1: Yeah, I'm gonna gonna get up I'm gonna be there I'm gonna be ready If a deer runs into my backyard at 3 o'clock in the morning I'll be there Pow, he gone (laughs) He's dead Not really I ask myself a lot lot. How bad do you want it? (laughs) Yep, you got to Man, Jordan Thanks a lot, man Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for talking about uh, all this. I'm sure we'll hear, hear from you during turkey season. We're going you know, to have to. So. I hope so. I can't
3: be disappointed if, it, if, you know, if I can kill one bird this year, I'm more than satisfied.
1: That sounds like me every year. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, new canoe and scree gear you can keep up with southern ground hunting by following us on facebook and instagram or you can subscribe to us on the youtube channel and make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch hats t-shirts stickers stuff like that i truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you here again next week remember this god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time